0: Well, this morning we're continuing in our series, working through the book of 1 John. And if you're newer here to the church, that's what we do is we take time to kind of unpack uh, passages of scripture, just working through the Bible rather than my ideas on things. uh, We dive into what God's word says about things. And this morning, a very important topic. And uh, in fact, it's an important message for each one of us. And this is the message that we're called to love one another. All right, I wanted to thank you so much for coming, and uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We, uh, we actually are going to spend a little bit more time unpacking what that actually looks like, but really that's it in a nutshell. It's an invitation to a fuller life. It's an invitation to what we're called to, and I can't imagine if we got this right what it would look like in this community. You think about that. If we got this right, everything would change. Our marriages would change. Our families would change. Our relationships, our our interactions at work. If we got this love thing right, man, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? Not to say that we're absent of love, but man, I I would propose that there's definitely room for growth or at least there's room for growth in my heart and my life. So we're praying towards that this morning. Let me just pray for us before we dive in on that topic. Dear Lord, we thank you for this chance to be together and the freedom that we have to do that. Such a gift to be in this house of worship and to celebrate you and to put the, the spotlight appropriately on you here this morning. And we just ask that you'd speak to us through your word, that you'd be present here, that I'd be small, you'd be great, that you would really meet people where they're at. Whatever distractions, whatever's going on in their life, they'd be able to put those on on hold, and really hear from you and from your word. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you wouldn't mind turning with me, it's so helpful if we're looking at the uh, same thing together. We're in the book of 1 John, real close to the end of the Bible, if you're searching. 1 John 3, 11, starting where we left off last week, and the first thing that we're going to see in the text here in verse 11 is that love is not really a a new idea. It says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You think about that first verse there, and uh, it says the message you've heard from the beginning. And a lot of us that have been in church world, you're like, I have heard so much spoken about love. It's a reoccurring theme absolutely in Scripture. And, And if we're not careful, we can even get callous to the word love. It's not just a reoccurring theme in scripture. It's also a reoccurring theme in culture, I would propose, wouldn't you say? Uh, You think about how much you hear uh, talk about love or even turn on the radio. And in fact, I was thinking about that this week in preparation. It seems like most generations think that their era invented love. Have you noticed this? (laughs) I was thinking about that with the, the 50s, you know, Elvis Presley Rocked it. Like Elvis Presley knew about love, or so he thought. Love me, tender, love me, true. I won't continue with that. And in fact, I'm going to just take a pause this morning. We're going to do a quick, are you guys okay with this? Quick snapshot of Generationals' approach to love. I've invited some actual singers up here. And so, representing uh, each era, so we're going to start in the 60s and feel the freedom to sing along here. Chad, go ahead and start us off. When a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on else. He'll trade the world for the good thing he's found. friend if he put her down and, and moving on nice and moving on to the 70s chad come on people now smile on your brother everybody get together try to love one another right can see who's from which era. Let's let's move to the 80s now with a personal favorite, some Bon Jovi. It's time for junior hands, junior high dance, all the people in their 30s. And I'll be there for you These five words I swear to you When you breathe I want to be the air for you I'll be there for you I live and I die for you Steal the sun from the sky for you. Words song moving into the 90s is a little bit of a confession of being a closet. Okay, here it is, Whitney Houston fan. Let's hear it. Not me. All right, one more song. We couldn't move out of the 90s without this famous, see if you recognize it. Do you think maybe I could share your wrath this time? <laughs> Rock that. (laughs) anybody else all for just listening to music the rest of the morning? Are we okay with that? Okay, last one. Bringing us into, or actually two more in the early 2000s, Enrique Iglesias. I can be your hero, baby. (laughs) I can kiss away the pain. (laughs) Wait for it. And I will stand with you forever. And more recently, fitting for our cell phone generation, go ahead with this one. Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy, but here's that number, so call me baby. Don't pretend like you don't know the words to that. <laughs> Qu- quite the medley. It uh, started as a little idea, and it kind of took a life of its own, so. <laughs> So uh, thank you guys for leading us in in that. uh, As it relates to our topic this morning, obviously our culture doesn't have a shortage of ways of expressing and talking about love and all things that we're very familiar with. But we can probably all agree that somehow in all of that and all the crazy songs and conversations. In 2015, the word love is a bit overused, abused, misused, and misunderstood, right? How often the word love has become something that's self-focused based on fleeting feelings or emotions. It's often sexual in nature, really missing what I propose is God's design and his plan for what love was supposed to be. And so when you read this text and you see that we're told that we're supposed to love one another, my question is for us this morning is, how do you redeem that? How do you bring it back to God's initial design, what he intended for us to experience? I think we're selling ourselves short so often. Let's take a look as the text gives us some clues on how to redeem that. And verse 12 paints a picture of the alternate reality. It says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that We have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. A lot there. That's a pretty heavy section of scripture if you really think about it. But to me, it's crazy that person number three on the planet, Cain, killed Person number four. You think about that, Abel. You you think about that. It didn't take too long when we wander away from God's plan or design for love. It didn't take too long for it to spiral in a terrible direction. Person number three, killing person number four. That's what happens independent of God's love in our life when it's not when we're not abiding in that love. And you ask the question, you're like, how did that happen? First thing that you notice in verse 12, it says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, who was of the evil one. This idea that, that, that is true still today is there's no middle ground. It's either Christ is ruling and reigning in your life, or the enemy is. There's no alternate. There's no other possibility. It's one or the other. The idea of self-autonomy is just a myth. The idea that, oh, I'm just doing my own thing, you know, nope, you're either being guided by Christ or being guided by the enemy. And just like we've seen in this series is that there's certain marks of someone that's in Christ, we've been pointing to a lot of those, there's also certain marks of somebody that's outside of Christ. You think about that, how many things, evidences point to that. Whether it's selfishness, and indifference for the needs around them, hatred, or here in this context, even escalating to the point of murder, they're all marks of someone that's outside of Christ. The word murder used here, murdered, is talking about the initial word There is talking about animal sacrifice, same word that's used. It's actually a picture of a a violent act, uh, the idea of slaughter or a butcher. And this is the word that the author used to uh, describe what actually Cain did to Abel. It's a pretty dark thing if you think about it. You're like, where did that come from? I think it's interesting that the, the, the text speaks to that. It says, and why did he murder him? because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Have you ever thought about that before? Like how strange it is that somebody, when they're living right, it's so such a, 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 a distaste or a poor taste in the world around us. You think about it, how much darkness really doesn't want anything to do with the light. There's something about it that, that opposes it. I was thinking about this, I don't know. If you've had this before, if you really treasure sleep like I do, anybody else really enjoy naps, night sleeps, the biggest enemy to a nap or night sleep, I would propose, starts like this. The light gets turned on. Like, what are you doing? Can't you see I'm trying to sleep here? Anybody had that, made that statement before? (laughs) Confession? We're in church. We can be honest here. You see, when you're you're used to the darkness, when you're accustomed to it, when you're comfortable in it, the last thing you want is having the light turned on, right? Have you had this before where somebody turns on the light and you still have your eyes closed and you can still see it through your eyelids? You're like, come on here. I can't deal with the light. I would propose that that's the same picture of someone that's outside of Christ They don't don't like to be around light because it interrupts the darkness. Light interrupts the darkness and makes someone living in darkness dislike having them around because it's a constant reminder of their sin. It's a constant reminder of like, oh, this person's making good choices. So so if you think about it for a second, if you're living in in bitterness and hatred and you're easily angered, do you want to be around somebody that's long-suffering, impatient, and forgiving, and extending grace? No, because why? It doesn't make you feel good about yourself. And even to the point, as we see in the text here, that he says, don't be surprised then that the world hates you. When you're living in Christ, it shouldn't be a shocker that even when we're like, man, I'm, I'm trying to love people, and there's still something about us That in 2 Corinthians 2.16 says that we're the fragrance of death to the perishing. The fragrance of death to the perishing. That's a powerful picture if you think about that. Shouldn't shock us that we're disliked. They murdered every apostle except for the author of our book right now. Except for John, each of the apostles were killed by the world because of their belief and their, their choices. And so today it shouldn't shock us as well. But what, how are we supposed to respond? We're still called to live above reproach. We're like, hey, you can't keep living like that. You can't keep living. That doesn't say that it's not possible for us to get sucked into this whole hate thing and to, to deal with that. Uh, it's, it's part of the human experience when someone has wronged you. It's a process of forgiveness. Amen to that. Where you're just like, oh, I'm hurt. I'm broken. But I know that the truth is when you're living in the light you get better and better at releasing stuff. You, you grow in that. It's something that, God's, that God stretches in you. You, you, you learn to, to deal with when someone has wronged you. Unfortunately, I think we could turn up the dial on this quite a bit in the American church where it doesn't shock us when somebody's like, man, I just can't stand that person. Like That, that should send up some, some bells. That should sing, send some alarms off. Wait a second, you're not allowed to, to do that because Why? So that's not what the new life looks like. That's not what it looks like. What does he say? He's pretty extreme. Obviously, God takes this serious. God says, "Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer." Is there certain parts of Scripture sometimes you're like, I don't really like sometimes what Scripture says. You're like, Wait a second. What do you mean? How are you going to compare me that's like ticked off at my brother or or or, or a coworker? How are you going to compare me to a murderer? How how does that work? But here's the truth. Even though the deed may be different, the root attitude is the same. Even the deed may be different, the root attitude is the same. And so that's why he's trying to get this at its source. He's trying to rid that in the life of a believer. He uses other black and white statements. No murderer has eternal life. Let's be, it's important for us to understand that in context to the rest of Scripture because it'd be easier to be like, man, what about, what about somebody that's maybe been in the military or a cop that was doing his job? And I mean, there's a lot of questions that verses like that raise. And this is important to understand that it's not saying that no believer has ever committed the act of murder. David, a man after God's own heart, you know? act of murder, or someone who has murdered can't be saved, like absolutely, there's so many great testimonies of someone coming to Christ in prison at their lowest point, that's not saying that, but what it is saying is that those who are characterized, listen to this, those who are characterized by hateful attitudes and murderous thoughts are evidences of someone that doesn't have Christ abiding in them. Again, evidences, things to point to like, oh man, obviously Christ isn't reigning and ruling in their life. That's a problem there. That's why he's pointing to saying, listen, we know, what does it say in verse 14? We know we have passed from death to life when we love our brother. That's the evidences that we're looking for because the new life in Christ, you, can't, you can no longer live like that. It's just not, it's just not an option for us. Continue in our text because a lot of times when you're said, okay, you use statements like we love the brothers, you're like, Well, that's nice church lingo. What does that actually mean? What does that what does that look like to love the brothers? Sounds nice. Look in verse 16. Says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Stop there for a moment and think through those verses. The first thing that you notice there is how Jesus perfectly modeled this. With the ultimate display of love was what? Looked a lot like this, right? The ultimate display of love with Jesus hanging on a cross on our behalf. The ultimate display. But then it, it tells us, what does it say? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You're like, well, I don't really see any need to step in front of a bus or something. Like, I don't really see in present-day Agora Hills or, or, or the Conejo Rabbit Valley, like, where am I, where am I called to actually lay down my life. You're like, where does where that look like? He's like, well, I've got some practical ways that you can do that. Verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet, does, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? His point being from a positive slant on that, that verse is if you want to show Christ's love, a lot of times it looks like this. Meeting tangible needs with our goods, it's, it's as practical as that. It's not. It's not rocket scientists. There's those. Pe- there's people that need things, and there's people that have things. Like it's a. It's a real simple. It's a real simple way that things work, and that's why you hear. Like think there are our, our announcements this morning. John was up there, did a lovely job as usual, ex- except with Bed Bath and Beyond, and uh, and and, and but but here's, here is the thing that you saw a reoccurring theme there. You see a couple couple of weeks ago we had this women 's tea. What was that to who was that raising support for teen challenge we're trying to raise some funds to bless the these different uh, moms and and ladies that are are coming and struggling with addiction. It was like, man all right we're taking some of our goods and trying to bless them. Then you see in our announcements what were something else What's, what What did we hold up there? Uh, a baby bottle? We're like, all right, well, we know that there's a, a lot of single moms that are really struggling in our area, so yeah, let's, let's help them out. You see a, a clothing drive mentioned, you see a, a, a kind of a running theme there of us as a church trying to collectively get this right, collectively get this right, but how about us personally? How are we doing with that? What do we say? A lot of times people are like, well, Scott, how much is enough? How much are we supposed to give? I would propose, thinking about that question, because that's something I've wrestled through over all the years. Anybody else wrestle with that question? I've wrestled with it for a long time. How, how much is enough? My answer to you, is going to be brilliant. You ready for this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I would propose that that's one of those tensions That's a healthy tension for us to live with as we abide with Christ. All right, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? How do you want me to respond? What do you want? Nudge me appropriately. I want to listen to you. I don't want to try to figure this out. I want you to. But what I would say is maybe the how much starts with this answer, enough to get our fists off of it, right? Uh, Enough to open the hand and not have the closed fist. That might be a, a good starting point. So how much is enough? I was talking to a friend of mine who is, uh, I forget how the, the topic came up, but he was talking about being at his in-law's house and it being a little bit shabby and a little bit run down. He's like, oh man, I just wish they took better care of their house. And he, he was thinking that and he felt super convicted because when he went into their kitchen, he noticed on their refrigerator it was packed with just a, a wide display of Compassion Kids stickers. You know, the, you know the cards that you get? Like the, uh, uh, is like, man, picture, kid, 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 kid. All of a sudden he was convicted. He's like, why do I care about their, whether their house looks nice or not? Something's obviously headed in the right direction with their hearts. How much is enough? I don't know. But in this text, it points to us that's a tangible way that we display God's love by meeting the needs of others. Verse 18 is an important thing to understand as well. Look at verse 18 there. It says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk. In other words, just be a a big talker. But indeed, and here's the second part that's critical when we're thinking about caring for those in need. Indeed and truth. Indeed and truth. I would propose that a lot of times in our social justice efforts, we miss this piece. We get, the, we get the, all right, I'm done talking about it. Am I going to actually do something to help somebody out? But what about the, uh, okay, you got the deed thing about, down, but truth here in its original term is talking about the truth of Scripture. And what I would say is if we are going to really nail this, really get this right, it's deed, it's action, it's meeting needs. We're, we're trying to work on that as a church, but it's also presenting truth. The truth, the hope of Jesus Christ, because otherwise, if it 's just meeting a need isn 't that just putting a band aid on things? Think through this scenario if we if we took a, a trip over to Uganda and we found a, a, a kid over there that was really struggling, malnutrition, and whatever picture you want to bring in your head. Now imagine we, we brought that kid back to the United States, we got him well-fed, nice clothes, we got nice shelter, great education, took him through. He went all the way through the whole process, had an awesome job, had a white picket fence, family, kids that loved him. And what if we did all that and that kid never came into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? What would be the point? what would be the point that's what it all hinges on you see there needs to be deed and truth mark 836 says for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and what forfeit his soul forfeit his soul that's why there has to be truth attached to our message there has to be it has to be more than just action you have to uh, you have to speak as to what's actually compelling your action I was having a breakfast this last week with a representative from Compassion Ministries. And we were just talking about their ministries, sharing a little bit of what they're doing and exploring maybe some potential future ways that we could partner with some of the stuff they have going on. It was a great conversation. The thing that he shared with me that really stuck in my mind, I found this very relevant to what we're talking about right now. He said this, he said, you know what's really cool, because he's a former pastor, he said, you know what's really cool is we, we, we meet a lot of their needs, but the thing, the, the statistic that I love the most about compassion, he was explaining to me, he said that last year in 2014, 125,000 kids made a profession of faith, made the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord. You're like, man... That's what I'm talking about. Meeting tangible needs and something that's eternity redirecting. The good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be. That's what it looks like. So you're like, what does love look like? We sing about it. We talk about it. That's, that's, it's sacrificial. It's meeting needs. It's putting others before yourself. And it's attaching the gospel message to it. That's loving somebody in word and deed and truth. Let's take a look in verse 19 as it continues to actually look at this. And I was thinking about that last picture that we described. And isn't that really what Jesus Christ, what he lived out? Like think about his life. He went around just meeting needs, sharing truth, meeting needs, sharing truth. Like that was the the, the kind of summary of his ministry. This next verse is maybe a bit of, of hope for those of us. This is a pretty intense black and white passage. It says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart's heart before him. By this, he's referring to what we just talked about. It says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved if, our, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. I think this is a, a, a great pause that, that John points in the text that we can get a little bit caught up on all of this, and the legalistic part of us starts to uh, feed it and be like, see, I need to, need to do more. I need to, I need to work harder. I, I'm clearly not meeting the grade. But what he's saying is more than that. He's, say, he's saying, listen, all of this is pointing to signs that God is doing a work inside of us. Don't start to condemn yourself. It's easy to go into that idea of of these condemning thoughts about us, but he's telling us not uh, not to do that, but we need to hear truth from God. Question for us this morning is, do you recognize his voice when he's trying to tell you, when he's trying to encourage you, or have you gotten so accustomed to the condemning lies around you? I love this statement there in the section. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. God is greater than our heart. We can, we can be so quickly, I've talked about this before, that emotions and feelings, they make a, a terrible engine, but a wonderful caboose. You don't want to be absent of feelings and emotions. You want to have them, but you just don't want them driving the ship because there's someone else. There's a higher court than the human heart. There's a higher court than the human heart. God is the one that's speaking truth into us. And he's saying, listen, if you're following me, you're abiding in me, then, then you're not going to have these, these wrestling doubts and questions. It's, it's interesting to me that you think about it, that doubt dries up when we're walking faithfully. Doubt seems to dry up like it's like, hey, there's not much room for doubt because like I'm, I'm fully in. I'm immersed in that. I'm not believing the lies that the enemy wants to speak into our minds. Identity theft. I was uh, really blessed this week. I saw a Facebook post, and every once in a while, one catches you. This one was by Becky Heatley from our church, who's been obviously, if you're familiar with her story, through a tremendously difficult past year. This is what, what Becky posted. She, said that she wrote this. She says, I am Becky Heatley. I am a child of God. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights And I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. I love that. What a beautiful picture. I love that Becky's clinging to this truth rather than believing lies about her identity. It's a beautiful picture of God pointing to the truth of who she is. Doubt dries up when you're walking faithfully. Heart has no room to condemn us. Instead, the alternate option is to have confidence. Like when you're when you're living in Christ, you're like, man, I can be confident. Man, my 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 actions align with my my words. I'm I, I can I can be bold and confident. What does it say that then uh, then you when you're confident before the Lord It says whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. The first uh, upon first reading, you can be like, yes this is great news. All I have to do is follow his commands and I can get whatever I want. There's this new Jaguar convertible that's epic. Like, this is such good news. Like, there, and you're like, no, I think you're, I think you're missing it there. The truth is, is that first the word confidence, in its definition, the word confidence means boldness or freedom of speech. Boldness or freedom of speech. Yes, when you're walking in in Christ, you can come before him in boldness and freedom of speech. But I would propose that when you're walking in Christ, that the things that are actually consuming you, the things that are important to you, start to actually align with him, right? When you're walking with him, when you're abiding in him, then all of a sudden the, the requests that you're bringing before his throne aren't about trivial fleeting things, about things with significance. When my heart aligns with his heart, yes, I can go before him and ask whatever and it's a beautiful place to be. That's God's desire for us. Love is evidence. He is in us. This last picture I wanted to look at is really, uh, to me, it was a little bit of an aha moment. We'll see as I share this if it is for you or if you're like, yeah, I already knew that's God. All right, here we go. Verse 23. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and guide in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let's think about that for a second. Who's noticed in this theme through the book of First John What do I keep saying? Every section kind of goes back to the same word. It starts with an A. Tell me if you can get it. Yes! That's awesome. Yes, the word is abide. That's the reoccurring theme in this whole book. He basically presents these challenges, these evidences of, of someone that's in Christ. But he keeps coming back to the same foundational truth. Abide in him. Abide in him. But here's the aha moment, all right? You guys ready for this? It's, it's profound to me, maybe not to you. Here's the, usually, when I think of the word abide... When I think of the word abide, what comes to mind? You start thinking about like, all right, hanging out with God. I've even talked about it in this series. Hang out, talking to him in prayer. That's part of abiding, a conversation. You, you think about, okay, another way that I abide in Christ, I abide in him, is, is by reading his word. He wrote us a love letter. We should be familiar with the almighty God wrote a book. Are you kidding me? I should read it. You know, like that, 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 that kind of thinking, that's part of abiding. Yes, those are part of it, but I would propose this morning that this section maybe expands our view or understanding of what abide is. What does it say in this section? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. You're like, there we go, Scott. Back to the really stressful thing because I've read the Bible and there's a whole lot of commandments. How do I break it down? Does that mean following every single one of them? Well, good news because look, it points to one important one. What does it say in a couple of verses prior to that? And says, and this is his commandment. All right, we're narrowing it down. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and what? Love one another. Love one another. Isn't it fascinating to think that to deepen our relationship with God, one of the critical means that we do that isn't necessarily sitting in a room by ourselves. It's actually the way we love people deepens that relationship. The the way we, we care for people, the way we express love, that's what deepens. You're like, how do I abide in Christ? Love people. It starts with a foundation of a belief. What does it say there? It starts with a foundation of believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. You can't even hope to love somebody unless you get that figured out. But it starts there. But then the abide piece has everything to do with loving other people. That's the invitation that he says. This cyclical thing, he's like, listen, this it's like a love triangle only in a healthy way. He's like, you love them, it, in essence, it's loving me, and it's like this, this thing, it's the, a perfect picture of what God has called us to, and it's the invitation that each one of us can partake in. The good news is in this very last verse there, and it seems, again, the same recurring thing, and by this, we know that he abides in us, so it's not just us like, all right, I'm trying to abide again in him. I'm doing a crummy job, but this next week, it's going to be a good one. He's saying, listen, the truth is in this love triangle, maybe that's a weird definition, but, uh, but in this, that as he abides in you, he makes the love thing possible. His spirit living, he's like, yes, I called you to do this, but I'm going to also empower you to do this because I'm living inside of you. I'm going to help you do it. Because why? Because I am love. You can't help but have me start to come through, seep through the cracks a bit. I uh, loved hearing this this story of a little girl that was trying to make sense of this whole thing about the Holy Spirit living inside of her. What do you mean God comes and lives inside of her? And this little girl was asking her mom some really important questions, I think. She was was asking this, this first question. She said, all right, Mom, God is really huge, right? He's massive. And she's like, yeah, definitely is like I mean he can hold the 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 universe in the palm of his in the palm of his hand like he's massive you you're on the right track and she's like yeah but we're really small right we're really small and she's trying to piece this all together she's like if you try to fit something she she had uh, already worked through this try to fit something really big into something really small it's going to start seeping out, isn't it? It's going to start coming out, right? It'll start coming out any kind of open crevice or crack, right? And she's like, I think you got it. I think you got it. You see, the truth is this whole love thing that we sing about, that we talk about, we give counsel about it. You can watch a talk show with people bumbling through it. This whole thing It starts there, is when he's on the inside, when you stuff big God in little me, all of a sudden, not just he is loving, God is. Is love that's in his very nature. So if he's in you, if you've squeezed him inside of you, I know that's a random picture. It worked for me, but uh, but if he's inside of you, then you're like you're like ooh, it just came out a little bit there. It came out a little bit there. It's it's seeping out the cracks. Maybe that's gross. Uh, but but this this picture this picture of abiding in him is when he's in you. Man, you can't help it. He starts coming out. That's the invitation that John's given us. He say, "Man, he's like this. These are definitely love. Is definitely a mark of someone with Christ that's in Christ, and and we don't want to we don't want to be confused about what it looks like. It's not about me. It's not about self. It's definitely about serving others. It's about meeting needs. Let's be clear on that. It's there's there, there's some definitions of what love is and what love isn't. But the thing that's going to make it possible is Him in us. What a beautiful picture, right? Let me pray as we conclude." God, I thank you for this this message, this word, uh, in your in your word, that's a, a great reminder of kind of boil, boiling things down to their very core and what we're called to be about. More than more than called, we're invited to love. God, we love being on the receiving end of love, and when we actually get it right, it feels Like, that's what we were designed to do. I just pray that we'd have more of that. We want more of that. There might be some of us in here that, man, it has to start with making sure that Christ is inside of them. If there's someone here in this room that's never bent their knee and embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior, man, this love thing is just going to be a bunch of songs and confusion. But when you start setting up camp inside of us, all of a sudden it starts to make sense. We invite you to do that both collectively as a church. We invite you to do that individually, personally. We can't do this on our own. We need you to grow in this area of love. Thank you so much, God, for your patience with us, for your grace. You don't get ticked off when we blow it because we blow it often. Keep on pouring your love inside of us. God, I pray that we'd embrace that this week. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen amen well let's abide in him this week by loving somebody doing a good job meeting somebody in their point of need that would be a fantastic way to live out this passage let's start as we're leaving today give somebody a hug today all right sound good god bless you have a great day